Happy Mother's Day to our moms out there today. We're grateful for you. Praise God for you today. You might be wondering why I'm in a suit. I normally tell people, if you see me in a suit, I'm going to marry you or bury you. I'm not doing either of those today. Uh, but in honor of my mom, I'm wearing a suit today. Uh, my mom would always dress us up on Mother's Day and then take family photos. So in her honor today, um, I'm wearing this for her today. As we walk through this incredible story of hope, today we jump into the narrative where Ruth is being loved on and cared for by a man by the name of Boaz. Pastor Mike did a great job last week of setting that up. And the truth is this, each of us are in this journey called life, and we have to trust the process. So no matter where you're at today, sometimes you want to bail out and think, this is too hard, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm leaving, I'm, I'm going somewhere else, it, I don't know if I can make it. And there's these stories of our lives that have different chapters to them. And this is just one of the many chapters that you're in. But there is a chapter that's coming that either on this side of heaven or that side of heaven where God works it all into good. So we have to trust the process and say, God, even though I don't understand And even though it doesn't make sense, and even though it's difficult, and even though I received this hard news this morning that's rattling my world, I trust you, I will lean on you, and we will make it through because you are with me, God. And when we do that, instead of trying to pull it back into our hands and hold tightly to it and we release it to him, he works it out for good that love them. Jump into the text with me today, and I'll show you what I mean. Turn to Ruth chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 14 to 23. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to Ruth chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 14 to 23. Would you stand with me as we read the account today? Ruth chapter 2, verses 14 to 23. Would you read it with me? At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As the men got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town. Her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is a close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him. Because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. You may have a seat. As you can see, it's a good scenario right now for Ruth. She was hungry. She left Moab. 
and now she's being fed. Naomi is getting the leftovers that have come. And not only that, there is much more than what she expected to be given. So she once had a life that was far away from God. So far away that she was worshiping the devil, the God of Kamash. But now we find her, we know she repents. She's going back to a foreign country where these people are not supposed to have anything to do with Moabites. She's with Naomi. She's now a believer, as we would understand in terminology today. But it will be very hard for her. But keep in mind, when God selected you, it doesn't matter who rejected or neglected you from your past. So no matter what you bring into this new relationship with God, that past doesn't have to come with you. All the things that you've done in the past are dismissed by God and forgiven by God. Ruth and Naomi are in new territory. And as you look back, as Mike looked at it last week, but look at verses 11 and 12 from chapter 2. Boaz replied, I've been told about all what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. And then he says this, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. In other words, the safest place for us to be is to turn to God and rest under his wings, Scripture says. That's a safe place. You see, when we turn from where we were, the closer we get to God, that's where favor flows. It's when you get close to God is where his favor flows. It's where you receive things that you couldn't necessarily get on your own. It's where this undeserved favor exists. When you turn to God and get closer to him. Keep in mind, names are very important in this account. A few weeks ago, we looked at the names. We saw that, that the Ruth's name meant beautiful. We saw that Naomi was a pleasant friend. We saw that she changed her name to Mar, which means she feels bitter about what's happened to her. But now we open and look at the man by the name of Boaz. Do you know what his name means in the Hebrew? It's so significant to this story. His name means strong man. Think about that as we jump into this text. We saw that Malon and Kilion, we saw, were sick and sicker. We saw that Elimelech's name, the Hebrew name, meant God is my king, but he became his own king. So the only view of men that these ladies had had up to them had let them down. And now enter the scene is what we would know as a godly man, as a strong man. And he is about to rescue these women from what had happened to them in Moab. We cannot overlook the significance of the name of Boaz in the story of hope. Finally, a man with dignity. Finally, a man with honor. Finally, a man with integrity. And finally, a man with godly love surfaces in this story. And this story about a mom who is hurting and about a daughter-in-law who is hurting, a mom who had just had three funerals in the last year. Can you imagine losing one son and another son and losing your husband, now turning back to God after being out of fellowship for 10 years? She had been away from God. 10 years, but she knew if I turn back. And Ruth said, I want what you have. And she turns back, God, and the closer you get to God, that's where you find his favor. 
She's a new follower. In fact, it says in verse 14 that Boaz says, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some leftovers. And then he says in 16, even pull out basically the best, some stalks from her, from the bundles, and leave them for her to pick up. She is a foreigner in a foreign country that was supposed to have nothing to do with Moabite women. Now the favor of God is resting on her In this time of hardship, trust the process with God. Trust him in your journey. We must be reminded of this, too, as we look at this account. Even though Ruth had a past, even though Naomi's family made poor choices, even though part of her past was worshiping, we would understand Satan and a demon worshiper in Kamash, God can radically change our past that what was before is different now. I would say it this way. You don't have to be prisoners of our past. They are just life lessons to be learned, not a life sentence against us. Here's what it means. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've lived, and no matter how, how, how long you checked out from God, God is willing to forgive. It's not a life sentence. You can learn from it. And in this case, they're learning from it, and they're turning back to God. See, God has the ability still even today to pardon us of our sins. And there's nothing that you have done that you've asked forgiveness for that you will ever be resentenced again before because Jesus pardoned our sins at the cross. How about an amen over here? I always ask this section. It's like, it's always this side. Like, for now, can can we get an amen here first? Like, that's good news. Go home and tell your neighbors about that. She now is experiencing the favor of God. And only God could orchestrate. Think about this. A Moabite who the Israelites and the Hebrews were supposed to do, have nothing to do with. Who literally were not allowed to walk into a church as we understand. Who for 400 years couldn't walk into a sanctuary. And now she is seated at the table And he is dipping her food into wine and saying, come, come. That's what God can do for us. You see, she made a choice, though, didn't she? She said, I want your God, and I want to be with your people, and I want to die where you die. You see, she saw something in her mother-in-law that was different. The strong man even said this, don't give her leftovers, give her the best. I love what it says back in chapter 2 and verse 13. If you look back in 2 and verse 13, Ruth basically said this, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? She said, "You You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. Though I do not have the standing of the one of your servants. She was experiencing the favor and she was saying, I'm at ease. I don't deserve to be sitting at this table. I'm a Moabite. I'm a different color. I'm a different person, but God levels the field when we come to him. Have you ever received favor? Have you ever been somewhere and you think, I don't deserve to be here, and it's only by God's grace that I'm here. Have you ever sat somewhere and you thought, how did that just happen? I've had many of those times in my life, and I'll take you back to a time in Iraq. A few years back, we, as a church, wanted to care for the refugees, and so we sent teams, and 
And on one of our trips there, our team was there. And while we were there, the minister of religion of Iraq. Now, this is a big deal. Minister of religion who has his own headquarters. The headquarters are in Erbil, Iraq. And while we were there, he had heard, he had already known, because word was on the street in Iraq that there was this group of people from Grace Community Church in Goshen, Indiana, that were helping his people, the refugees. Word had got to his office. He knew who we were. Pastor Malath, who we had befriended and has become our friend, that we hold his arms up in his church in Erbil, knew him. And so he had set up a meeting where the minister of religion wanted to meet with us. And so on our trip, we're headed over there. And I remember sitting in the van thinking, I cannot believe that we are going to be sitting in the minister of religion of Iraq's office. So as we're driving there, we get to this large building and you go to the door and you have to drop all your, any weapons or anything you have on you. They check you. There's men, guards that are standing there. And you basically walk in empty-handed. And we're walking back the hallway to this office. There's dignitaries and offices of Iraq all along the way. And we finally come back this dark hallway and we enter this room, which was his office. Gigantic office. Chairs the whole way around the outside. And we all sat down quietly. We had prayed before we went in. And as we're seated there, I looked around and there was two pictures on the wall. A picture here. And a picture here. It was a picture of Billy Graham and the picture of the Pope. And I remember saying, guys, 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 he, hadn't, he wasn't in the room. I said, guys, just pause and look around the room. What do you see? We see Billy Graham and we see the Pope. I said, what else do you see? They're like, I'm seeing us. I said, God has placed us here. We're in the minister of religion's office in Iraq, a Muslim country. He came out, and he understood English, and he could speak English, but he brought a translator with him because they would never speak English to English-speaking people. So the interpreter was there, and as we spoke, the interpreter spoke to him, and then he spoke back in Arabic to the interpreter, and then the interpreter talked to us. All the while, he knew everything we were saying. And as we receded there, he said these words, I'll never forget, thank you. Thank you for loving my people. You are blessed in our country. I remember sitting there and thinking, and he said some more things, and he was asking about the work, and and then he gave us what he thought was happening in Iraq with the ISIS and the refugees, and we asked him, how much longer do you think this is going to go on? But before we left, we were able to pray in the minister of religion's office and lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, only God can do that. Only God can put a Moabite, a former Kamash believer who worshipped demons, who was never supposed to be in the sanctuary of Hebrew followers of God and sit her at the same table with a strong man of God. See, only God can do that. So no matter where you're at today, don't ever give up on your desire in your dream. God is working behind the scenes, even in this story and in your story. And no matter how hopeless it feels, trust the journey, trust the process with God. Why do I say that? Because you might be in the middle of a storm and it might feel like 
Oh, hell is breaking loose, and you might feel lonely. You might be single again for the first time. You might have children that have run away from God. You might have been handed an illness. It might feel like it's chaotic in your home. But here's what I know to be true. Not all storms come to disrupt your life. Some come to clear the path for you. Think about that. By the way, that's good news. (laughs) This storm that's in your life, this hardship with your husband, his physical health, this new season of trying to find friends, this, this new season of, of, of being by yourself, this new season of, of being alone, this new season of hardship, this sickness, this knock on your door, this death, these three funerals. Listen, not all these come to disrupt your life. It's God's way of clearing the path so that you can sit at the table as a foreigner in the house of God. You see, it's perspective. It's all perspective. Trust the process. You see, Boaz understood what he had been given, and it impacted the way he treated others. When you know what you've been saved from, sometimes we forget, and saved too. You live differently. Because this is not the end. What we have to come is so much better. Kinsmen redeemers, guardian redeemers. It's important that we understand this because Boaz was a relative of Naomi. And because he was a relative of Naomi, that meant he was a kinsman or guardian redeemer. And so he had responsibility. So when Ruth came home and Naomi said, what was his name? And, now, and Ruth said, his name is Bud. She's, oh, he's a relative of ours. Like, he's, he's related to Limelech. And then you read that, you can gloss over it, but it's important. It meant that he was a guardian or kinsman redeemer. And here's what kinsmen or guardian redeemers did for widowed women. The redeemer was to repurchase the clan land sold because of economic hardship. So, if you were a widowed woman... And you had to sell your land because you needed money for food, because your husband was dead. This kinsman redeemer would get word of it. You know what he'd do? He would go back to the owners of the land that bought it from you and buy it back and give it to you. That's why Naomi's like, whoa, he's a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer was to buy back relatives who were sold themselves into slavery as a result of slavery. And so he would literally go to slave owners, and he would go through the list. Any relatives? Any relatives? Any relatives? There's a relative. And he would go to the slave owner and say, that's my relative. I know they've been sold to you, but I want to buy them back, and here's money for them. He could rescue them. So kinsmen, redeemer, strong men were important. They also did this, kinsmen, redeemers. They avenged the murdered family members by tracking them down and killing them. Like if a family member of yours was brutally murdered, this kinsman redeemer would gather his buddies and they would hunt you down and they would take the bad people out. You know what else they did? They assisted in lawsuits. If a lawsuit was brought against you, they would come and bring a representative or they would stand with you so that you didn't have to stand alone. They would pay for it and they would be your defense in the midst of this trial. That's what kinsmen redeemers did. And here's what's significant in this account. They married a childless 
widow of a deceased brother. So here's what that meant. Ruth had died. And it meant this. If you as a man had a brother, and that brother was married, and they didn't have any kids, and if your brother died while you were still living, then you would go to this widowed lady and say, will you be my bride and marry her? Why? So that she would not be left alone. Now, that changes the whole wedding scenario, doesn't it? Can you imagine the bride as she's looking at the groom and she's ready to say, I do. She takes a peek down the groomsman list and checks out the brothers. (laughs) Because if you don't make it, I get you, you, or you. (laughs) All that is hope. Incredible hope. It leaves precious women who are by themselves an ounce of hope to say, is there a relative out there? Is there a strong man out there that will pick me up from this mess? Yeah, his name is Boaz, and he's seated at the table across from you, and he's paying special attention. And because you move close to God, the favor of God is flowing freely from the throne, and you're about to be proposed to, Ruth. Watch out. That's what God can do, and that's what he's doing. She had enough food, it says, and she had an ephah. That's two weeks of food. Instead of just getting enough for that night, Boaz let her, his servants, hey servants, go grab the stalks, not just the leftovers. Give her the cream of the crop. And it says she took that, she threshed it, and she had an ephah of of food, which meant two weeks of food. She was receiving special treatment. I'd often wondered how she carried it all. I love Naomi's response to her too. We got to hit the pause button here because this story is so incredibly good on so many levels. It's a story of someone who is desperate, broken, ready to give up, but God intervenes with hope. Let me show you what I mean. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. Look at Matthew chapter 1. It's a beautiful story. Just turn there, please turn there. It's a beautiful story. Like this is what God's doing behind the scenes. Trust the process. Your story's not over. He's working something down the road. Look at Matthew chapter 1. Look at this beautiful story of hope. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 says this. This is the what? Genealogy of whom? The Messiah, the son of David. Okay, let's look at it. The son of Abraham. Verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of who? What's your Bible say? Salmon. Huh, who's Salmon? I never heard that name before. Verse five, Salmon, the father of whom? Boaz whose mother was who? Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was who? Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Go over to verse 16. Follow the genealogy through. Look what it says. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Christmas, Mary. And Mary was the mother of who? Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Okay, just hold on to that. Think about this. 
Boaz's mom was a prostitute. Rahab. Boaz's mom was a prostitute who married, history shows us, one of the two spies that went to spy out the land that God had sent them to see if they could take it. And while they're spying out the land, let me give you a little context here. These two spies came back. We can take the land. We can take the land. We can take the land. Ten come back and said, no way, they're too big. But as they're spying, the enemy is coming, and they need to hide out. And so they're looking for a place to hide, Salmon and the other man that's with him. And so they're looking around, and they look down the city, and there on top of the wall that they're on is this house that has a purple Linen hanging on it, and there's a woman that's gone. And you know who that was? Rahab. She was a prostitute, a harlot, a woman of the streets. And so Salmon and his other buddy, the two spies, work their way in the room. And when they go in the room, they shut the door and they look around. And say, Whoa, what are we doing here? <laughs> We're at a brothel. And, and, and Rahab says, here, I got a place for you to hide. And she has this place in the house. It's so secret, probably for men before who had come and their wives came looking for him. And she hid him there. And then the enemy came and they're searching out. They know there's men there that are from Israel. And they're looking all around. They go to her house and they can't find him anywhere. And meanwhile, they're hiding. And after the enemy leaves, something happened to Salmon as he looked at Rahab, he realized that this woman who would later convert to the God they loved, he was interested in, <laughs> and he would marry her. So, fast forward. Now you got this guy named Boaz. <laughs> Across from him is this woman called Ruth, who's a Moabite. And in the very line of Jesus Christ is a prostitute and a Moabite, and the very blood that was in Jesus at the birth in Bethlehem came from those two women. Grace, 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 grace. Only God can do that. Okay. Amen? I got to talk to you guys over here. It's like... Think about this. Years later, can you imagine the dinner stories when Boaz's children would say, Dad, Mom, Boaz, Ruth, hey, how did you guys meet? <laughs> Can you imagine that story? Like, they would say, well, we did it this way, but don't you ever do it. <laughs> well, Boaz would say, well, I was out in the field one day, and this woman came walking in, and I noticed her. And, and you know, I wanted to help her because of what I've gone through, and so I gave her some food, and I invited her into the house, and she was now a God worshiper that we worshiped, and we were sitting at the table, and my old heart went, you know what? I asked her to marry me. Can you imagine, like, then looking at Boaz, and, and the kids are saying, so how did Grandpa and Grandpa meet? Who, tell, me about, tell me the story about them. Well, do you really want to know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, okay, hold on to the full story, but let me begin by saying this. Your grandmother was a prostitute. <laughs> Listen to me. Trust the process. Fall under his wings. The King of kings and Lord of lords 
and the incarnation of Christ in Bethlehem, fully God and fully man, carried the blood of grace from a Moabite and a prostitute. From there came our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Through the years, the kindest hearts and people that I have personally witnessed in 57 years of life have experienced the most pain. And they let the pain soften them to people who are walking where they walked. It's the Second Corinthians 1. We're ministered to by God, and then when someone goes through what we went, to, went through, we minister to them. You see, God always has a greater purpose for our suffering. This story's not over. So remain faithful. Don't lose heart. Don't complain. God is turning it into something beautiful. Watch how he does it. Look at Luke chapter 2 and verses 19 and 20. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. The man is a close relative of ours. He is our guardian or kinsman redeemer. Ruth moves from the back of the line to the front of the line. You see, God has not walked out on you either. Naomi needed this too. She needed to know that God was still in her corner, even though she had been out of fellowship for 10 years. Plus, what sometimes gets lost in the story is that she experienced great pain as a mama. She lost both her sons And she was still grieving at the funerals of her husband and her children. And no one loves like moms love. You know my heart for men. You know that I want to see men grow and become the men that God created them to be and fight for their families. But the truth is we need godly women to do the same. And our church is loaded with godly women. And no one loves like a mom loves. A mother's love is irreplaceable. Moms have the ability to love like no one else. I've, personally, I've seen with my own mom, I watched Ann with our kids, and kids would come to our house, their friends would come over, and before they left, she had fed them, cleaned them, put Band-Aids on them, and by the time they left, they called her Mama Ann. <laughs> she has the ability, and moms have the ability to just love, love, love. A mom's love is irreplaceable. Naomi's heart is hurting, but she knows where to find her hope in God. And I watched my mom, and I watched... My older sister find their hope in God at a very, very difficult time. When I was 12 years old, we were on vacation with my dad. If you don't know my story, my mom remarried, and she was divorced when I was four and a half and remarried, and she didn't know Christ, and my stepfather got saved, and mom got saved, and it was her faith that led us to church, and then we got saved, and my dad was still unsaved and didn't get saved until I was 16 or 17, and But we were on vacation. It was my dad. He's very generous. He loved us unconditionally. And my dad wanted to take me and my three sisters to Myrtle Beach for vacation. My older sister, Kim, had the only grandchild of the family. And and Lindsay was nine months old at the time. So it was a big deal for my sister, Kim, to go to Myrtle Beach with my dad and go with her husband, Mark, and with her siblings. 
So we piled in my dad's vehicle and we made our way to Myrtle Beach. Meanwhile, back home, mom was excited to care for Lindsay. Very excited. I mean, she had already raised five kids, so it wasn't difficult for her to be able to raise and take care of a grandchild. And so Kim knew and mom knew that Lindsay would be in good hands. And so it's Labor Day weekend and we're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And one of the nights, my sister woke up in the middle of the night screaming at the top of her lungs. Moms have intuition that sometimes it's remarkable to see. And she yelled these words, pray for mom, pray for mom, pray for mom. Not certain what was going on, my sister knew something was up back home in Maryland. Meanwhile, about an hour or two hours later, the phone rang in the condo that we were in, and my brother-in-law picked up the phone, and it was my Uncle Bill that was in Maryland. And he told my brother-in-law this, that Lindsay had died through the night. My mom walked into her room at her house, and she put her to bed at night in the crib, and she walked into the crib that morning, and she was blue, dead. Lindsay had died. It just seemed like everything fell apart at that moment. It just, I remember as a 12-year-old boy trying to fathom what was going on. And so then I watched my brother-in-law go to my sister. I was in the room. I watched him grab a hold of her, and he began to try to tell her. Can you imagine as a husband looking at your wife and saying, our baby's dead? And she told her, and my sister lost it. And she was screaming and running down the street, and it was just horrible. And Meanwhile, on the other end, can you imagine what my mom was walking through? Feeling potentially the guilt of somehow that I let this happen on my watch. And, and so mom was distraught, and Andy would tell me later that she was just at the end of herself. She ran down the road just crying and asking God, what's going on? And it was a horrible time, hard time for my sister and our family. And, and the, later came to find out that she had died of crib death. So we packed up all of our belongings. We had been in, it was Labor Day weekend. We were supposed to stay the week. We were there for about a day. And my uncle flew my sister Kim and, and my brother-in-law Mark back to Hagerstown. We hopped in the car and drove the whole way back. It was one of the quietest, hardest rides I've ever been part of. I'll never forget the funeral. Like, you don't expect a nine-month-old baby to die. I just remember sitting there and watching my sister just sob and my mom sob, just side by side, just, and you have all these questions that you ask God, like, what's the purpose, you know, what's going on, and, and the crib, the casket was this big, and I remember they brought it in, one person carried it and sat it down, and, but what I remember even more than that is this, I watch my mom and my sister through the hardest and hardest of time in their life trust and run to the arms of our great God. I watched my sister never become bitter with my mom and my mom feeling the guilt and finally come to a, a place that better days are yet to come. And so every year at Labor Day, I watched my sister go to social media and she puts up this beautiful picture of this pudgy, beautiful first grandchild of the family and say this, I will see you again. You see, that's the hope we have in Christ. That's the kind of love that a mother has for her child, trusting in God in the process and not fully understanding it. And that's the picture that we have here of Naomi looking at Ruth and saying this, that man took notice of you. I can see 
her saying, you are blessed because of this man. I mean, through the years, like, I remember the first time I brought Anne home, she came to visit, and it was Christmas time, and I was bringing her home to introduce her to her family, and she was up in Hanover, Pennsylvania with, 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 uh, with her grandma, and, and, and so I had to drive to Hanover, Pennsylvania. This was before GPS and cell phones, and, but we talked on the phone, and I, I asked her where she was at. She says, I'm in Hanover, and the house has three green candles. I said, I'll be there. I didn't, she didn't give me address, just, I'll find it. And I did. I found her, and I, and I brought her back. And I remember my mom's words. I wrote them down. This is what she said when she met my wife, before she was my wife. She said, Jimmy, she's a gem, G-E-M. <laughs> and she said, you are blessed to have her, Jimmy. I really believe that Naomi, in saying those words, is saying, you are blessed to have him. See, a mom's ability to read through everything was evident here. A mother's love is unmatched. I think if we had been there, we would have seen Naomi crack a smile in the midst of her bitterness. It says this as we move to the end of this narrative. It says in 21, then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It would be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him. Because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. And that day, raped or killed or molested. So, verse 23, so Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Chapter 1 ended that the harvest was ripe. Chapter 2 ends that she has more than enough hope. Is springing from the pages of hardship. In the midst of our hardship, God's perfect plan is unfolding. God is lining up a romantic love relationship with a broken-hearted foreign woman and a strong, godly man. And unbeknownst to Ruth and Boaz, a marriage is on the horizon. A match made in heaven that would carry the DNA of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I bet if we were to ask Boaz, can I see your list for the woman that you want to meet one day and marry? (laughs) I bet on that list wasn't Moabite, devil worshiper. I bet on that list wasn't anything like Ruth. But God has a way of changing what we see as best for us. And bringing people into our lives in times when we don't think we can go on and offer us hope from the ashes. You see, you never know what your day holds. This could be the day that your hopeless situation turns around. This could be the day that your daughter finds healing. This could be the day that the thing that you dream the most about, that you pray the most about, could be on the horizon and you could sit at the table for the answer that you need and never thought it would happen. You will always have seasons of hardship. And along the way, you'll even have people that will tell you, you can't do something because it's too hard or it's too out there. But always remember, all they are doing is showing you their limit, not God's limit. God can do immeasurably more than what you're asking or imagining. As it turned out, 
Back in chapter 2 and verse 3, I love this phrase. I wish I could show you it in the Hebrew. But in chapter 2 and verse 3, she went out, entered a field, Ruth, and began to glean behind the harvesters. And it says, as it turned out, or it just happened, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. I want to say this, with God, nothing just happens. You see, he's working out his perfect will for you and the longings and desires that can't shake your mind from a heart set on him. You could be one conversation away from that person that you've been longing to meet and marry. You could be one encounter away to the answer to your child's sickness. You could be one hardship away from God clearing the path to give you a place of prominence in your world. You could be one journey away from a Moabite sitting with a Hebrew who would later propose to her. You could be one row away today. That answer that you need could be in the hands or the pocket or wallet or home or workplace of them. Or you could be one computer stroke away from the miracle that you've been begging God for. It's just one click away. Why? Because you can trust God. And remember, hope allows us to trust the process no matter how difficult it might be for you today. Keep trusting and believing. And listen to me. God allowed Ruth to find the strong man that she so desperately needed and longed to find. In a foreign land, in a major storm, she found hope for tomorrow. Oh God, I pray that we would walk out of this room today knowing that we need to trust you in the process. And no matter what we've been handed And no matter how difficult it might feel, God, we can find comfort and rest and hope sitting with you under the arms of your wings. I pray to God, or to God today, God, that you would bring hope to hopeless situations. Help people to trust the process, the story And the conclusion and the final chapter has not been written. And with you, all things are possible. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to close today and to honor our moms in this room. I say this really from a heart full of love. Moms, you can only do things for your children in this world that we can't do as men. And what you do for us is irreplaceable. I'm the man I am today because of some special women in my life, my own mom and my wife, who's an incredible mom. I'm a better person because of the women in my life. And we love you. And I hope that somehow that as I read these words today, that, that you feel loved and you feel honored and you feel held up and, and you walk out of here feeling respected and cherished and that you know that you can come back to Grace Community and we'll love you and we're grateful that you're with us. So this is 
for you. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate you. To those who lost a child this year, we really do mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointment, we walk with you. Please forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it already is for you. To those who are foster moms and mentor moms and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have a warm and close relationship with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experience abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience and we pray for you. To those who live through driving tests, (laughs) medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you long for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you in these very complex paths. To those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet the dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and we rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. We love you. And we're glad God gave us you. Happy Mother's Day. God bless you. See you next week.